0: We've never really talked about a strategy for how to get bigger. But we have talked about what it looks like for us to get better. Go and make disciples of all nations. He wants us to go even to the places and to the people we're uncomfortable with. We're never going to be content to simply fill seats and have services. It's always been about figuring out how to connect or reconnect people to God, through Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of filling seats, you guys filled the seats today. Hey, good morning. Um, welcome to part three of this series, Multiply. We've just decided to take uh, this first month of 2024 to talk about where we believe God is leading us as a church. So if you're um, visiting us or this is your first time at Grace Point, uh, you're going to feel a little bit like you went over to somebody's house and they're having a family conversation and the potatoes are really good, but you're like, should we be hearing this right now? Have you ever had an awkward conversation like that or been in like that? It's not going to be awkward today. I'm just saying sometimes it is when you go over to people's houses. That just didn't connect at all, did it? It's all right. Um, As I've told you every week, I believe, and and a lot of us around here believe that God has blessed us as a church over the last, um, you know, 10, 15 years. And the question isn't why, the question is what? What do we, what does he intend for us? To do with that blessing, and so we're, we're talking about what we believe um, we're supposed to do as a church with those blessings that God has put um, in our hands. I thought about it this week. It's, it's We want to multiply deep in our individual um, relationship with Jesus, and we want to multiply wide in our impact in our community and, and in our world. So this is, this is for us as individuals, and it's for us as a church. Um, as well. And sometimes that can get a little confusing. Um, today, I'm going to talk mainly about what does it look like for us um, as individuals um, and apply it to us as a church as well. Um, but today we're going to see Abraham, um, as we've kind of been tracking along with his story, in a couple situations where um, he has to choose what's most important, like he has to set his priorities. And the, the dilemma that he faces is a dilemma that we face oftentimes. Like, um, I don't know about you, but I usually know what to do when the choice is, be- is between something right and something wrong. I don't have a hard time making that choice. My dilemma, the tension I feel is when I'm given two good options. What, like, what am I supposed to do with that? I would almost rather have a good option and a bad option. But most of the time, in, in life, in marriage, in parenting, in finances, in our occupation, in our physical health, it's usually here's two good options and and you have to choose which one is the best of the two good options. That's the dilemma that Abraham faces today. And as we kind of track along with this story, we're gonna see how he places his priorities. I was actually talking to somebody about this just this week. Like every single leadership book I've ever read and probably everyone, everyone you've ever read starts out with establishing your priorities is step one to, to finding, you know, success in, in life or, or job or relationships, whatever it is, when you're, when you're looking at a long list of good things, like knowing what needs to come first, um, knowing what has to, to be mission critical, like what are the things that are nice, but what are the things that are essential that's just as true when it comes to church. It's just as true when it comes to the kingdom of God as it is when it comes to our, our, our daily lives, the practical things that we find in our lives. So that's what we're gonna look at today. What's, what's priority? What should be priority? What, what, what do we put as number one, okay? So Genesis 13, if you got a Bible or a mobile device, that's what we're gonna, we're gonna be today. We kind of left off in Genesis 12 last week, where Abraham and his family are down um, in Egypt because of a famine in the land. Um, this is a time where they learn to trust God in all kinds of different ways. Uh, today, we're gonna find them heading back home um, in chapter 13. So we'll start, chapter 13, starting in verse one. It says this, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. Now, that's an area that would eventually become Israel. So again, they're going back to the north with his wife, And everything he had, and Lot, who was Lot? His nephew, right? Lot's his nephew went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. He went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and I, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. If you write in your Bible, take a pen, pencil, lipstick, prick your finger, use your own blood, whatever you got, Underline this next phrase. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Underline that phrase. We're gonna come back to it later. Verse five. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. So Abram says... Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives, is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, we, you're reading your Bible, you know, and you start in Genesis 1 at the first of the year, and you get to this. We just kind of blaze through this. But what you need to know is, what just happened What we just read is unheard of in ancient times, okay? Uh, The original audience of of this um, story would have expected one of two things to happen whenever they read this. Number one, they would have expected war to break out. They would have expected Abram to go to war against, yes, his nephew. And Abram um, was, was richer, Abram had more resources, he had more people, his clan was bigger, so more than likely in that day and age, Abram would have completely wiped Lot and his clan off of the face of the earth. The second thing that they would have expected to hear was Abram telling Lot to beat it. Go somewhere else. Because again, Abram's big daddy, remember? And he's, he's uncle, Lot's nephew, Abram's older, Lot's younger. Abram has the promise from God. Lot doesn't, if anything, Lot's just kind of a tag along, riding on his uncle's coattails, okay? But Abram doesn't do either of those things, right? Not only does he avoid conflict, he gives the lesser man the better choice, which again, unheard of in this day and age. And it's not that different today. How many of you, okay, show of hands, how many of you are younger siblings? Anybody? Okay. Most of you? Yeah. Okay. Everybody, go ahead, raise your hand again. Everybody, look at everybody raising their hand just so they have a little bit of attention. Okay. (laughs) I'm a second born. I know what it's like. Okay. But let me ask you this. Did your older siblings save the last brownie for you? No chance. no chance. They took the first piece of chicken and the last brownie, right? What do you mean give you the better choice? You're the lesser person. You're second born in this family, right? It's not that different. But Abraham, he gives his nephew the first choice. Look what happens. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord. Another key phrase you might want to underline. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. You got to say that last phrase really carefully. Verse 14, after the two had separated, God said to Abram, look. Look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Before, it it was the stars in the sky that he could see, that he could count. Now it's the dust of the earth. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it. To you. Aren't you so glad there's no conflict over that anymore today? <laughs> there is a huge contrast between how Abraham's perspective on stuff is and Lot's perspective on stuff. And I just I just want us to look at this. Because okay, Lot and Abram, like they're both, they're both pretty ambitious men, and both of them make decisions based on a specific set. Of values And Abraham's decisions, like if you know the story, which most of you do, Abraham's decisions lead to increased blessing and multiplication. Lot's choices led to destruction. So I just want to show you from Genesis 13 the, the different priorities that these two men have and, and how it turned out. We'll look at Lot first. Lot's priorities. Lot prioritized the riches he could see. When Lot looked at the options he made his choice based on one factor, at least as far as we know from, from the text. He decided which choice makes me wealthier. He chose the lush, fertile Jordan Valley, which was the right decision, financially speaking. But in making that decision, he, he factors God completely out of the equation. Like we know that Lot believed in God. We, he, was, he was a God-fearing man And yet, when he makes his decision, there's no record of any prayer. There's no record of any consultation with God whatsoever in his choice. He chooses to make his home right next to Sodom, which was notorious for for its wickedness. So he, he puts the spiritual condition of his family in danger, primarily because Sodom was where the money was at. And if you follow the trajectory of Lot's life, you see this choice play out tragically, right? In in Genesis 13, he settles next to Sodom. By chapter 14, he's living in Sodom. By chapter 19, not only is he in Sodom, he's one of the leading men in Sodom. And eventually, again, you know the story, when God decides to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, He rescues Lot and his family, but his wife is so in love with the material prosperity and way of life in Sodom, she can't bear to leave it. And what does she do? She looks back, turns into a pillar of salt. Now, I want to be really careful here because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that God never calls us to live in places where there is sin. That would be impossible. I mainly say that for those of you who are tuning in from Florida right now, okay? But the point isn't. (laughs) The point isn't that we're not supposed to live anywhere sinful. That's impossible. The point is, the problem was, Lot prioritized material blessing above God. Let me say it again. It's not that he chose to live where sin was. He chose to prioritize material things above God. And and it's not that different today. It's just not. You've seen this. You've seen uh, people that you know that are in jobs that are terrible for their family they're terrible for their spiritual condition, right? Maybe you've been in a job like that before where you have no time for family, you have no time to serve the kingdom, but it pays for a lifestyle that you've convinced yourself that you need and always wanted. And so you stay, you stay in that job regardless of what it does to your family, regardless of what it does to your, to your spiritual life, to your, to your relationship with Jesus, You've you've also seen this happen in families. You've seen families with kids that are so committed to dance or to soccer or to baseball or to basketball, whatever it is. And listen, I get it. I get it. All the opportunities available to kids today are so hard to say no to. And you feel as a parent, I don't want them to miss out. I get it. But can I just say this? Yes, I can, because I have the microphone. (laughs) Your kid is not going to go pro, but they're going to spend forever somewhere. Your kid might get a scholarship, but they definitely will spend forever in hell or heaven. So, So what good is it? If our kids become leading men in in Sodom, leading women in Sodom, but lose their soul. That is not a popular message, and you're not going to hear it anywhere else, but it's true. What kind of places are we putting our families in? If God is priority, if he's first, if we say he's the highest good, shouldn't he get the first place? Shouldn't he give the, the, the weightiest, most important place in our lives, in our families, in our schedules, in our jobs, in everything? I think we should. I think he should. And Lot chooses to prioritize the riches he could see, not the kingdom of God. It did not turn out well for him. Number two, Lot prioritized self-interest over generosity. He chose what was best for him even though in this case he had to wrong his uncle to do it. He has to to wrong the older family member. Abram should have been given the better choice, but but Lot just couldn't see it for for whatever reason, right? He's thinking about the prosperity of one person, about one family, and his choices. He was more about self-interest than he was about generosity. So by contrast, there's Lot's priorities. Let's look at Abram's. Abram's priority, number one, Abraham prioritized the kingdom of God. His question was not, where's the best land? His question was, God, where do you want me to go? Where, where do you, what do you want me to do? That's why I pointed out verse four, where he called on the name of the Lord. Like one of the, the first thing he does when he gets back into the land. The very first things he does, he goes to Bethel because he wants to hear from God. He wants to, he wants to make sure he's in tune. Um, in the very next chapter, Lot is captured by the kings of Sodom and Abraham and his men are going to pull off a rescue operation worthy of the Navy SEALs. And he, he rescues his, his nephew and in the process of that, he's rewarded with all these spoils, the spoils of war. And you would think, like the natural reaction is, look at all this cool stuff I won. Look at all, look, look what God did for us. The very next thing Abraham does, he tithes. He tithes 10% of the spoils of war to this mysterious man named Melchizedek. We find out that he was, he was a priest of God. So not only was, was God was God Abraham's first thought in making the decision where to live, God was the first thought in turning to say, thank you for the blessing. That's, that, that was his... priority. He recognized the blessing, the prosperity that had come from God. So he should probably get the first of this. He should get the first portion of this. And you say, why in the world would he give it to this guy? Right? Throughout the Bible, whenever somebody gives to God, there's always an institution. There's always a somebody. There's always a something that God says This is my means for working on the earth. In Abraham's case, it was Melchizedek. A little bit later in the story, it's the the temple or the priestly system. When you get to the New Testament, the primary hub in which God is active on the earth is the local church. And every single time somebody gives, they're not giving to that institution, they're giving through that institution. They're giving to the kingdom through the church the way that Abraham gave to the kingdom of God through Melchizedek. He prioritized God's kingdom over his own in both of those decisions. Number two, Abraham prioritized generosity over self-interest, which is, it's just the opposite. It's just flipped from what Lot did. And when you think about it, Abraham actually put himself third. He put God first, he put Lot second, and he put himself third. And did you notice what happened when Abraham did that? Who took responsibility when Abraham put himself third for for Abraham's provision? God did. God took responsibility because he prioritized God first, others second, me third. And God took responsibility for Abraham. Lot prioritized the riches he could see in his own self-interest, Abraham prioritized the kingdom of God and a spirit of generosity. So here's my question for us, Grace Point. Which man better mirrors your approach to material things? Which man better mirrors your approach to life? Are you more like Abraham or are you more like Lot? For most of us, we're probably somewhere in the middle and some of us, it depends on the day right? Well, let, me, let me give you a few diagnostic questions just to help us answer that. Number one, what's first in your decisions? What's first in your decisions? This is um, Jesus. Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 33, after he goes through this long diatribe about worry, about things, about material stuff, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Here's the question I get from people more often than not about that verse. What are we talking about when you're saying all these other things? What do you mean all these other things? Well, you have to look at the context of Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, the context is all these things that you need to live. Food, clothing, shelter, all these other things. He doesn't say anything about a vacation home. Right? He doesn't say about anything about a three-car garage and there's nothing wrong with having a three-car garage or a vacation home, okay? If you have one, come find me after service. We'll talk, okay? <laughs> but listen, if 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 you look at the context, it's about stuff that you need. So seek first the kingdom and then God takes responsibility for everything else you need. Isn't that is that comforting to anybody else? It provides so much security. What's first? What are we seeking first? Second diagnostic question, does God get the first and best of you? Again, Abraham gives God his first and best of everything as a way of saying it. It all comes from you anyway. So thank you, thank you. Um, This is a little bit weird, but I've been captured this this year by the story of Cain and Abel. Um, I've heard the story my entire life, and I'll admit it, like, that is not one of the first places that preachers go to when they're talking about generosity. But it's just, it, there's, there's a part of it that's just captured my attention. Cain and Abel um, are the sons of Adam and Eve. Um, Cain would eventually murder Abel. And the, the events that led up to that murder is really what's caught my attention. Because they're both bringing a sacrifice to God. Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd, so Abel offers some of his animals, Cain offers some of uh, the portion of his harvest to God. God rejects Cain's offering, he accepts Abel's, that just absolutely infuriates Cain, and that's what leads to murdering his brother. The question is, what was it about Cain's offering that made God reject it? Like, that's the question. And if you read Genesis 4, you'll only find one distinction between the two offerings. In verse 4, it says that Abel offered fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. It's the only thing it says. He gave the, the offering from his firstborn. And we don't think about it like this because you're grilling and you, you, know, you just absolutely burn the lamb chop. You go to Dylan's and get another one. right? You go to Walmart and get another steak. If Abel kills his firstborn from that flock, I actually found out after first service that it's called, I can't remember now, flock. Yeah, it's a flock of sheep. If he kills the firstborn, is he guaranteed a second? Is he guaranteed that there's going to be more? No, he's not. But Abel trusted God with that. He gave of his first and his best, trusted God to take care of the rest. By contrast, we're told that Cain simply brought some of the fruits of the soil for his offering. It's, it never says his offering was smaller, never says it was lesser. It just very clearly differentiates between Abel's first and Cain's some. Like Cain waited for all of the harvest to come in and then decided, well, okay, now that I know, I'll give him this much. Cain was, was, was what we might call a December giver. Waited till the end of the year, right? Made sure all of my needs, all of my wants are taken care of. And then, okay, I got this much left over here, Lord. Here's some two-day-old lasagna. <laughs> which attitude, which approach most characterizes you and us? Because whatever you give your first and your best to reveals what's priority in your life. There's a pastor friend of mine says, everybody tithes to something. Everybody gives their first and best to something. He's right. And whatever we give our first and best to reveals priority, reveals what is first. Did you notice in verse 10? You did because I pointed it out. Um, that Lot compares the Jordan Valley to the Garden of the Lord. You know what that is? Garden of Eden. Okay. So there's a reason the author tells us that. When, when Lot saw the Jordan Valley, he saw it through spiritual eyes. He saw it. He was close. He looked at it and he saw that's That's paradise. That's my paradise. The riches of the Jordan Valley equal paradise. If I can have that, whoo, I'll be in paradise. And so there's almost, there's almost this spiritual dimension of what Lot chose. It's almost like, whoo, yeah, who wouldn't want to live in the garden? Who wouldn't want to live in paradise? But again, you see the contrast. Abraham thought of God's presence as paradise, not God's blessings as paradise. He'd rather be in the desert with God than in the Jordan Valley without him. What we give our first and our best to shows what we treasure most. It shows what we think is priority. And it shows what we think is paradise. This, by the way, (laughs) this is why if you go to a third world country and you talk to people there about heaven, they're all about it. You talk to people and America about heaven, they're not so excited because we've created our own paradise. We can, we can, we can answer our own prayers. You just write a check. Third question, do you think of yourself as an owner or a manager of your blessings? God told Abraham he was going to bless him to be a blessing. So, And, and I'm sure there was a learning curve here. I'm sure that Abraham, he didn't get it right away. But eventually he started to get, okay, everything that comes to me is supposed to be to bless others. Even when it came time to choose where he was going to live, he gave the first choice to Lot. And Lot is the opposite. He thought of himself first and most. His, his philosophy in life was get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. Right? I'll say it again. Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. That was his attitude. An attitude of a lot of people. Again, Lot Abraham, Lot Abraham, which, which, is, which bear mirrors my perspective? Another way to ask it is, is do, you view, do we view ourselves as a reservoir of blessing or a river of blessing? Does all this stuff just come and filter in and stay, or am I supposed to give it? Am I supposed to continue to let it go? 2 Corinthians 9, we looked at it a couple weeks ago. 2 Corinthians 9.10, you will be enriched in every way. Paul says that. What a promise. You will be enriched in every way, but he doesn't stop there. So that you can be generous in every way. Why does God enrich us, Paul? Well, so you can be generous in every way. Think about it like this. Um, Imagine how angry you would be if you made several large donations to your favorite nonprofit, and then you found out later on that 90% of what you were giving to that nonprofit ended up in the CEO's pockets, right? You would be outraged, and rightly so, because the money you gave was supposed to go to the people that they say they're gonna help. So that man, that woman, was stealing what wasn't intended for them, right? We would all agree with that. According to 2 Corinthians 9, every single Jesus follower is their own nonprofit ministry. And God has made many donations to you for his mission. And if all we do is sit on it or use it to simply increase our standard of living, we are embezzling his money. Oh, that hurts me. It does. Because I don't have this right all the time. Like, like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm just content. Well, I gave my 10%, so I'm good, right? What about the other 90? Isn't that his too? Yes, it absolutely is, but God gives us, he blesses us so we can take care of our families and so we can have shelter and food and all of the things, right? But that other 90% is his too, not just the 10%. How... How does that work? I think we just need to wrestle with that. It's obvious God has blessed us. Why? It's obvious he's blessed us, but why? What does he intend for us to do? Well, all throughout scripture, when God blesses somebody, he blesses them in order for them to be a blessing. And God has blessed us as a church so we can be a blessing to our community, to our world, to the people that we're connected to. And a lot, style, self-centered attitude says all of our resources, all the people, all the talent, all the money, it's for us. It's so we can have as comfortable as a church as possible. It's asking what do we want as opposed to asking what can we do with this to bless other people? And, And what people a lot smarter than me, a lot smarter than most of us have figured out. You actually heard Pastor Mark say this just a couple weeks ago. Brand new churches are three times more effective at reaching the lost than existing churches. And there's lots of reasons why, and we could get into that. I'm not going to right here. But all I'd ask is this. If there was an investment option that came across your desk that was three times as more effective than any other investment option, wouldn't you invest in that? You'd be dumb not to. (laughs) So this is one of the reasons we want to do it as a church. And and, and the point point at the end of this story is not that, that God's blessings are guaranteed and if you give him a dollar, he'll give you 10. No, it is. If that was true, we wouldn't take an offering every Sunday. We would give an offering every Sunday, okay? The point is God multiplies Abraham's blessing well after he was dead and gone, He's still multiplying Abraham's impact today because Abraham understood how kingdom economics work. They work upside down. You look at how, how, how our earthly economics works, kingdom economics work upside down. Here's how kingdom economics works. Whatever we prioritize before God, we'll lose. But whatever we give God the best and first of, he multiplies for eternal significance. Ever we prioritize before God, we'll lose. Lot prioritized riches before God and lost it all. Abraham gave God his first and best. And God multiplied it, and it's still blessing the world today. That blows my mind. Abraham's blessing, the promise that God made Abraham, will bless the church forever. Whew, it's a good investment. And my primary prayer, like this is, this is Pastor Tim, okay? My primary prayer for us in our discipleship to Jesus is not, like I, I, I shouldn't say never, that would be a lie. I hardly ever pray that God would provide us with the resources to do the stuff that we need to do as a church and wanna do and the lights and the staff and all that stuff. I, I've learned over and over and over again to trust him with that what I pray over and over and over for us about, what I ask God to do in us over and over and over again, number one, that we would give him our first and best in everything, and that we would learn to view ourselves as managers, not owners. That's my grandma's fault because she told me since I was a little boy, you can't take it with you, Tim. Can't take it with you, Tim. Like she, Her voice echoes in my brain we're managers we're stewards we're not owners you will one day become one of the most generous people on the face of this planet and give all your stuff to somebody else when you die you're a manager so all of our money as a church all of our people all of our time our leaders our physical resources this that projector's not ours the drums, they're not ours. The chair you're sitting in, is not yours. It's not mine. It's not ours. We're managers. And one day, we won't be here. and Somebody else will use it. We're managers. So why, why not give God our first and our best? Last thing, and I'm done. I see the clock. At the end of the last year, at the end of last year, we raised over $111,000 in about seven weeks for, for local and global missions, Okay. I'm still waiting for somebody to come to me and say, Tim, we added a zero, we were wrong. Like, what, $111,000, right? It's the most that we've ever raised. That doesn't include our regular giving. Like, that was just for the Give, Serve, Love campaign. If you add in our regular giving, that's $320,000 over the last seven weeks of the year, okay? What I want you to hear is this. We couldn't have raised that $111,000 if it wasn't for the regular, sacrificial, systematic giving of the other 210. You can't do this, and I'm all for this, and we'll continue doing this, right? But you can't do that unless you have this going on at the same time. The reason we're able to do this is because there's so many of you who give generously, systematically, Regularly, so we can do all the stuff, so we can buy the projectors and the drums and make sure the heat is on, praise him, all right? Don't do this without this. So today is not, ugh, this is an emergency, that's not what this is. That's not what this is at all. This is, we've excelled at this. Let's put the pedal to the metal and excel anymore as we consider some of the steps we're going to take as a church and planting churches and developing more leaders, making more disciples. We need you to keep giving. We need those of you who aren't to come up with a plan. This is your church. Come up with a plan to start giving. We need you to continue praying about whether or not God is calling you and you and your family to go with Pastor Mark and Pastor Jim to start this new church and to come up with a plan to support that new church with what God has put in your hands. This is an all-skate moment for us as a church. This is all hands on deck. Let's put the pedal to the metal, accelerate our giving, our giving capacity even more than we have. Let's be more like Abraham than we are like Lot. That's really the challenge. Let's continue to be the kind of people that view ourselves as managers, not owners, the blessings that he's given us, and maybe... Like I've told you guys this before. No strings attached, generosity is what the early church, one of the things that the early church did to get the attention of the Roman Empire. You study history, their generosity is what peaked up complete pagans that thought, what are you giving your money to them for? That's what got people's attention. That is what will get our pagan society's attention today. It's when a group of people, when individuals and families, no strings attached, generosity, and they give because they understand how much they've been given. The grace, the forgiveness, the mercy that's been poured out on us. And we just want to do that for other people. So, Abraham or Lot, which one am I? Which attitude do I identify with? Practically speaking, which one am I more like when it comes to my generosity? I'm done. We're gonna unlock the doors now and now I'll pray. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much for examples like heroes of the faith, like Abraham. And and there's so much about his life, so much about him that we, we just don't identify with. It's so long ago. It's halfway around the world. He lived in a tent. Uh, it's just, it's so different and yet there's so many similarities. There's so many things that we can learn from his journey. Father, there's, there's, um, there's convincing and then there's conviction. There's um, encouragement and there's affirmation. And God, my prayer is simply that your spirit would be the one who does that. That anything and everything that I've said today would be completely forgotten. And that your word, your heart, your desire would sink deep into our minds, deep into our hearts. And that you would change us. God, would you help us to be the kind of people, help us to be the kind of church that's just an example of just radical generosity. Whatever that looks like. Would you do only what you can do? Would you continue to do what you've done in this place and make us the kind of generous people that just mirrors our generous God? We love you. We praise you. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.